Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that there's a genetic explanation for why warmer nests turn turtles female. It turns out scientists just figured out there's a temperature-sensitive gene that controls the sex in turtles. They found that toastier nest temperatures instead of sex chromosomes turn baby turtles female. And that means that what's going on in the world, if you're in a part of the world where it's getting warmer, that it actually can affect these things. Why that matters to us is that this show focuses quite often on the topic of epigenetics, this idea that the environment around you can turn genes on or off. And that's at the core of biohacking, this idea that the environment around you and inside of you lets you control your biology. Well, every day it seems now we're finding these new signals, new switches. And it's not likely that humans have this specific gene, but what we're finding is bacteria have genes, fungi have genes, and certainly we have genes, and they're all listening to all sorts of signals in the environment around us that we never even thought about. This is yet one new one, which is really cool. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body. Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest is T.S. Wiley. She's an author, a medical theorist, and a researcher now based out of Santa Fe, New Mexico, the state where I grew up. And she wrote a couple of books that were so far ahead of her time uh, that I had heard incorrectly uh, during my interview with, uh, with Dr. Mercola, actually, uh, that she'd passed away. So I actually told on uh, a couple episodes, like, oh, no, T.S. Wiley is dead. And I have proof for all of you now <laughs> that she is not dead because she's here with me. She wrote these two books. One was called Sex, Lies, and Menopause, The Shocking Truth About Synthetic Hormones and the Benefits of Natural Alternatives. That was in 2003. And her work really influenced... Uh, some of my thinking when I wrote The Better Baby Book, my first uh, book about fertility, where I was talking about the effect of toxins and on diets and having proper building blocks so you could have healthier babies. But one of the chapters there was like, hey, if you're on synthetic birth control pills, it's going to be harder to get pregnant. You need to get off of this. You need to fix what's going on with your body. And I learned that from reading 
her book. And before that even was one that just blew my mind called Lights Out, Sleep, Sugar, and Survival. This came out in the year 2000. And that was when I started playing with my circadian rhythm. And T.S. Wiley is not a doctor. Uh, she's actually just a, uh, I, I'm going to call her a uh, belligerent researcher. And that is a compliment the way I'm saying it. She <laughs> she researches like just with a kind of intensity that's crazy. And I read this this book in 2000. I'm like, this is so crazy. And the back third of the book was all of her references. Like everything is referenced. And since then, she came up with something called the Wiley Protocol, where it's very carefully timed applications of bioidentical hormones. Because guess what? Humans are a system that moves through time. Like the body you have at the end of this podcast is not the body you had before. You shed some cells, you added some cells. So you're more like an eddy moving through a stream. And time matters to the way our brains process information, to the way everything happens. And I think she's been one of the early voices putting together a bunch of different things from studies and seeing it differently. And since then, she's presented at Harvard Medical, uh, Keystone Symposia, Chicago Congress on Steroid Research, testified in, in before Congress on things like this, and really been a behind-the-scenes disruptive researcher without a medical degree, which is even more impressive. So T.S., welcome to the show, and I'm glad you're not dead. I'm so glad I'm not dead, too. Thank you very much. I, I was stunned to find out I was dead that day. And, uh, I, you know, I checked with a few people. and I said, no, no, you're not dead. So my husband got a USA Today, and we did a proof of life with a date on it under, you know, my head. <laughs> and we put it on the Internet. And many people contacted Dr. Mercola's uh, website and his his people and said, would, would you retract that, please? She's not dead. And we didn't hear a word back. Oh. Not a word. Well, I, uh, I am happy to, to correct the fact because I was, it was actually your daughter came up to me, I think at the Bulletproof Conference even, and said, hey, my mom's not dead. I'm like, who's your mom? And I'm like, oh, and I was so excited. So uh, there's so much we're going to get to talk actually, about. <laughs> actually, she said, my mom is so pissed. You said she's dead. Okay. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> And you said, I can fix that. And I said, man, it was funny. Yeah, fixing death is something we're still working on. But uh, yeah, I, I felt bad about that. But also, I was mostly happy because you are someone I wanted to have on the show for a while uh, because I want to understand what the heck is going on uh, with your brain. Because you are all over the place in terms of your research. And this is also a compliment in that you you look at female hormones, you look at male hormones, you looked at inflammation and autism, you're looking at cancer, and now you're doing a lot of work on how the microbiome talks to the brain using sex steroids. And on the show, I've talked to Mark Gordon from USC, who's referenced some of the stuff about what testosterone does. I know what thyroid and testosterone did for my own brain in my mid-20s when I had basically none of either of those. And so you you look at all these different problems with the lens that no one else that I've come across has why are you like that? <laughs> How did you get to be this way? I, I could tell you about a brain virus I had at one point that, that honestly, I, this is no joke. I, I had a virus, you know, everybody gets herpes and I had it through my eye went into my brain. That's how you cross the blood brain barrier. And this was, you know, in the nineties. And I went to see a big guy at New York Hospital, and he said, well, either the virus wins or you do. We have nothing for it. They didn't have acyclovir. They didn't have a Breva. They didn't have anything. So I lived through it. 
And when the headache stopped, I got back to Santa Barbara, where I lived for 25 years, and went to see a neurologist. And he said, you have grown a new head. And I said, I beg your pardon? And he said, you have a new lump of tissue around a lesion in your parietal lobe. And I said, well, is there room for it in there? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I don't. I'm okay. And he said, your parietal lobe is where you synthesize information. And I said, oh, good to know. And I was interested before that, because my daughter had migraines, in endocrinology. And I worked with an endocrinologist, many people may have heard of, named Diana Schwartzbein in Santa Barbara. And um, all of a sudden, reading journals and papers got so much easier. And my kids were at the University of Chicago. I have five kids. At least three of them were there at that point. And I would go to the library, the medical library, and I'd order like $10, $600 books, charge them to my husband, the Neil Radin Foundation for the Cure for Everything. Mm -hmm. And they would show up at my door in Santa Barbara. And I would sit with them on one side of me, go through them. And when I was done, put him on the other side, making notes and doing whatever. I also worked with a man named Ben Formby, who was a molecular biologist, who is now actually passed away. I was working on endocrinology and the fact that everything's in a wave. You're seeing me in a wave, light wave. You're hearing me in a sound wave. Everything about the environment is reported to the nucleus of your cell. And now... I'll tell you to your microbiome in waves. So that's why the hormones I created are in a wave for men and women, because that flat line is the thing you see on a TV show when you're dead, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing's flat. Everything's moving, right? So how I got interested in crossing disciplines, which was your original question, is endocrinology led to molecular biology, led to genomics. When oncology was in there, and I was working with an oncologist at Sansom in Santa Barbara, Julie Taguchi, and all of that led to epigenetics, and I, I gave lectures to doctors until three years ago, and I'll probably start again. I'm working with a company called InnoVision for CMEs, and those lectures are two days in a planetarium where we turn the lights off and take their phones away and their computers and make them feel as small as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And I tell them how the world works, okay? So everything in my head is connected and you can't explain one discipline separately. You can't talk about hormones if you can't talk about which genes they're turning on and off. You can't talk about genomics unless you talk about epigenetics, which is the environment yep. turning things on and off. And now it's very obvious to me in the new work I've done that it's all about the bacteria who own the planet. You have to realize they've been here for oh, three yeah. billion years and they made us and the plants and the fish and the birds because they want to walk and yeah. they want to feel the wind and they want to fly and they wanted, you know, to swim. And those bacteria control your mind. They, they tell you what the next thing is to do. Those little bastards are embedded in our system called mitochondria and they're all in our gut and 
they're, yeah, they're, they are making so many decisions that we think are ours every day. And the more I dig into that, my whole last book was like, how do you hack them? Because those little guys are hacking you every day. The ones, the ones that are built in and the ones that are in the gut talk to each other too. And man, it, it's interesting, but it's not what they taught us in high school. That's for sure. Well, I have been thinking too the last few days about how you'd biohack these guys. And I'm not sure it's doable. I mean, because I work with somebody who says, what's the product here? And there's no product really I can think of. Well, I mean, you can eat dirt. We can look at things like rap immune from Easter Island. But it's, it's a matter of timing, as you said. Timing is everything. And they built the clock. They built the clock in you. They built the clock in the planet. They're in the Marianas Trench. They're in Antarctica. They are the original inhabitants of this planet. And they, those alien voices in your head, you know, they're the, they're the deep state. They're the dark web. <laughs> That's what the bacteria are. Yeah. And you have no idea what's going on. It's just short of the matrix. You're walking around at their behest. And when they're no longer reproductive, the real immune system of the planet, theirs, is autoimmunity, and you start to fall apart. You get arthritis, you get heart disease, uh, Alzheimer's. There's a million things that will kill you that are autoimmune and inflammatory. And that's because you have no hormones anymore, and you're not making them any more new meat puppets. So they let you die. In terms of hacking these guys, I mean, Epigenetics, uh, Bruce Lipton's work in the field uh, was another Brilliant. big shaper for me. In fact, I, I just saw Bruce two days ago before I'm recording this. And uh, the idea there is that these bacteria are going to listen to the environment around them. And since now we have technology that lets us change our environment, we can change our hormone environment, we can change our nutrient environment, we can change our light environment, our temperature environment, our vibration environment, our everything environment. If only we know what to do, those little guys, like we can trick them. And that is part of the, in fact, that's the definition of biohacking. Change the environment around you and inside of you so that your biology does what you want. And if you want to have healthy hormone cycles, you want to live a long time, you want to get swole, uh, I'm targeting 180 years old. Like, I'm going to trick those little guys uh, into helping me live that long because they won't know what's going on. They won't know what hit them. And who knows? At least that's my plan. Well, those those alien voices in your head that say, walk over there and kill yourself, or isn't she hot? That bacteria. They are, yes. Yes. And if you don't have the reproductive hormone rhythms, they're pretty sure you're useless. And what, they, what I figured out and gave a lecture about was when a woman's estrogen should go through her liver and be deconjugated and broken into E1, E2, E3 and go out in feces and urine, it doesn't if she's not young and healthy. There are four or five groups of bacteria called the estrobolome, unfortunate name, that take the estrogen and put it back together and send it back into circulation because they would like you to be reproductive. The problem is the one that mostly ends up staying is E1 in the breast, and that's part of breast cancer. So when you want to hack, I would tell you, First, no, they're in charge. Second, you know, little homage, timing is everything. They want you to get up when the sun comes up. They want you to go to bed no more than two hours after dark. They want you to eat in season, depending on where you live and your family's 
your family's ethnic heritage is a microbiome that you carry with you. Yes. So you have your own and I have my own, okay? And things like, well, whether it's sitting Shiva, which is actually a party with food, but sitting with the dead body in many cultures after the body dies, washing the body, all of those rituals are how the bacteria crawl on you. And that's part of your inheritance. And when we don't do that anymore, you're breaking a chain of information. Uh, does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And we have this new knowledge that, oh, when you come into the world, if you're born by C-section, they should take a, a cloth, a gauze pad with bacteria from the vaginal canal and put it on the baby to start that inheritance, although some of it was already in there, we know. And then uh, the end of life, I've never actually thought of that. But Help me understand this, because maybe that extra lump in your parietal lobe uh, knows something. <laughs> Why is it that we seem to systematically work to break that system? Like we're spraying glyphosate everywhere that disrupts soil bacteria. We're, we're putting all sorts of pollutants out there. We're taking antibiotics. Uh, we are also breaking these cycles. Uh, it, is this like a, a subconscious like fight against the man, uh, for lack of a better word? Uh, or is this just unconscious behavior? Or... Or is it them telling you you're not worth anything? Go ahead. That we have a new plan. That we're going to wipe the earth. Do okay. it again. You know when we talk, somebody said to me, "You're talking about them like they're God," and I said, "Well, there's a creator, and if they created us, I don't know how you want to think about it. But when we all look up to the sky and talk about heaven, you realize in Lights Out, you read it. I talk." very briefly, about big waves in the Pacific, yeah. carrying to low clouds algae, protea, archaea, bacteria that reproduce in those clouds. And when the clouds get hot enough and heavy enough, it rains. Now, the earth is flowing them around the planet. So another way to travel, if they're not going to walk in you, they can go in a cloud. But it's very interesting that we all look up and know that's heaven. I think that's interesting. And and go to the light is my favorite one. When when you finally die and they leave you, they get to see the light. They haven't seen the light before. <laughs> <laughs> so so what you hear and whether it's go spray my lawn with Roundup or whether it's I better run to the doctor, my throat hurts and get some antibiotics. I'm not sure it's your voice. No kidding. So maybe they're like these these big meat puppets we made are running rampant. Let's knock them out. Well, or they're they're not. They could be better. Or we start again. Or you know, I they've I, done it the, times. The core thesis behind my book Headstrong is that uh, these mitochondria are making uh, mitochondria are a type of bacteria that we incorporated, and that they're making so many decisions we don't know. Uh, and I didn't put this in the book, but it's part of the the forty years is in like personal development neurofeedback program I run. It's like look. All the voices in your head, all the ego voices are bacterial voices. They just say three things. Run away from, kill, or hide from scary things right now. Eat everything when you're not running away from things so that we don't starve. And when you're done, have sex with everything else. And pretty much all of our ego behaviors that we're ashamed of and embarrassed by come from those stupid little bacteria. And like, if you can get them to behave even a little bit better, you're happier. Uh, and so I, I kind of think the ego comes from bacteria, but maybe I'm wrong, but that, that sure, sure works. Criticize that. Like, tell me, is there merit to it? Well, when I hear you say the ego and I started thinking Freud and I started yeah. thinking old, back yeah. in the day, psychobabble, I, I 
I think about the fact that your survival, you know, I when I first started working with Taguchi, this oncologist that I work with, we would talk about P53. It's a gene that's the darling of cancer research. And, and Bent and I did publish papers on how hormones affect P53, particularly progesterone. And uh, Julie said, yeah, but there's mutated P53 and blah, blah, blah. Nothing mutates to die. Remember that. You mutate to live. You change to live. So if you aren't changing and you can't live on a planet they made you anymore, or you're destroying the planet they made you, but they'll be here after us, so I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> well, they'll just make it again or make it different. But there are many planets, many planets out there with worlds like ours that they made. They are, as I said, the original inhabitants of this planet, and I'm sure billions more. They're very successful life forms, and there's, there's 7,000 kinds of them that we know of, so there must be 700 thousand kinds of them that we don't know of because when i figured out they have operons instead of genes which are like genes and they're far more evolved than we are so they work much quicker they don't go through transcription very slowly of a gene and then the protein comes and then we have a receptor they work faster than that through transducers and enhancers and I took a course on uh, Khan Academy in, mm -hmm. in microbiology before I did my last slideshow. So I'm mm -hmm. sure I knew I, what I was talking about. And I called, there's a company called Rayet in Silicon Valley, and I've been friends with them forever. And they're a gene company. And I called my friend there and I said, what do you think about bacteria? And he said, I don't think hormones affect them directly. And I said, I think they do. Yeah. Because hormones report the environment in real time, light waves, sound waves, wind, you name it, electricity, magnetism, in real time, hormones report. Yeah. And I knew they reported to the nucleus of the cell, but turns out they report to the bacteria. He's wrong. <laughs> it's okay. Wow. His company went public. He's okay. <laughs> Is it possible that they report to both? I mean, you see direct cell of changes. Course. Okay. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, but these are hierarchical. You yeah. see the cell changes in a hierarchical fashion. But when I say deep state or dark web, I'm talking about what's really going on. How much time do you have? What are you supposed to do with your life? You know, I don't know about you, but when I started writing books, I had had five children already. And I said to my agent, I think it was Sex, Lies, and Menopause. I'd edited six fucking times. <laughs> and she said, and I said, this was not supposed to be my life's work. And she said, how do you know? And then I started, you know, because I had other plans and did other things. And I thought to myself, you know, there's what you want to be. And then there's what the universe wants you to be. And that's how you end up. And you end up that way, I think, because the bacteria, that's part of a deep state dark web plan that you have no clue about. And if you watch the angles and you, you know, you follow your instincts, instincts are your gut. They come from sensing the environment around you. <laughs> well, they come from the word of the creator sensing the environment around you. And that 
makes instinct. That means do this, do that, try that. So what I'm figuring out about the end of the balanced equation, and my equation was not balanced when I stopped at genomics, you know, um, estrogen hits G1 arrest and progesterone turns on P53. And I mean, I can tell you all the genomics. I didn't go far enough to what really runs us. Why, you know, there's this wonderful paper some woman wrote. She, she had to be 19 or something. And it says it's just her doctoral thesis, but it's not published. But don't worry about it. She took women from age two to age 72 through pregnancies, breastfeeding, all the phases of, you know, tipping points genomically in a woman's life and looked at the bacteria in their guts and how it changes and does it change and does, or does it change them? What happens? It's a great paper. And well, it was done by some college student. If you, if you find a link to that, I'll post it on the website and I have a, oh, a sure. okay. I would love sure. to read it and share it with, uh, with listeners. Now I'm going to tell a little story. When I'd read your books and I first met you at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, somewhere around 2001, actually the first time I'd ever gone, I just started running an anti-aging nonprofit group in the Bay Area. And this was somewhere in the Bay Area. And I went and said, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to get to meet you. I'm walking around. There's all these like superstars of anti-aging that no one's heard of. And I'm in line at your at your booth. No one's heard of. That uh, was the best part. That uh, no one's heard well, of. Well, no. I mean, at the time, 20 years ago, anti-aging <laughs> people were wacky. Just like if, if you were to say, I'm into anti-aging, people thought you were like completely like just crazy. And now we're like, actually, there's billions of dollars of research. We're going to work on this. So at least it's socially acceptable to, to, to be willing to live longer. But at the time, there's a gynecologist in line in front of me to talk to you. And she says, oh, I'm on your protocol uh, TS and I feel so good on this and it totally works. And you go, Oh great. You're using it with your patients. She goes, Oh no, I can't use it with my patients, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, like it's too complex and regulatory and fear and all this. And, and it was one of those first experiences for me that showed me, wait, doctors sometimes know stuff, but they won't do it with their patients because they're afraid of losing their license. And I was so, and, and you were a little pissed, uh, to be honest. And you're like, what the hell? Like, like, seriously? Like, how is that even ethical? And I actually agree with your point. <laughs> yes, I, I am very clear <laughs> that I expect the doctors to step up. And if yeah. they want my help or they want to be able to call me and ask a question, I think I told her to get out of line and let somebody come who had a real question. Okay. Because <laughs> if she wasn't going to help anybody else, I wasn't going to help her. It was just like that. It's it's one of those situations though where you know sometimes physicians, the good ones at least, I think are willing to experiment on themselves. Some of my very favorite doctors, like I won't do anything on a patient I haven't done on myself, other than surgery because you're not going to you know, do that on yourself. But but that you know they're if it's an anti aging or restorative regenerative therapy, they're like you know I think I should experience this and look for look at the side effects and the felt sense of it, and I I respect the heck out of that. So I. I'm hopeful that there's been a big shift in the last 20 years. There's still mainstream medicine, but there's now focus groups of doctors who are willing to go outside the box with some personal risk uh, to do it. But tell me about the Wiley Protocol that worked for this gynecologist, and what did you do different when you developed Wiley Protocol? So there's lots of women listening, and if you're listening, 
and you want to, and you're taking birth control pills, you need to not take birth control pills. They are simply bad for you. And T.S. Wiley is the first person who I think brought that message out. You were in Suzanne Summers' yeah. book. I was under the radar and very yeah. happy where I was until Suzanne put me in all these books. And <laughs> then I ended up in front of the Senate. But the reality is, I had a hot flash and I didn't like it. My youngest daughter was three. <laughs> She's 26 now. And I thought, what the hell was that? That's crazy. And preceding that for about three or four months, I remember being in bed with my husband and thinking, this would be what it's like if I had a brother, because I don't have a brother. Mm -hmm. I thought, what the hell happened to my libido? Because I have a raging libido. And it was just gone one day. And I thought, I need hormones. I got to figure this out. So I read everything I could and nothing made sense. And I basically went to the notion that if you were going to put back something that you've lost, like insulin in a type 1 diabetic, you would want to put it back the way you had it. And type 1 diabetics, of course, take insulin depending on their blood sugar after they eat whatever they eat. They measure it all the time because that's the best they can do to replicate how the body would respond. So I went to gynecology books and I went to, to all these books that showed a woman's rhythm in a healthy 20-year-old woman. Now, that was just estrogen and progesterone. And I knew it needed to be transdermal because anything you swallow is always whacked out in your liver and it becomes other things. You swallow progesterone, it hits GABA, you go to sleep. That's not what progesterone's for. Okay. And you don't eat hormones in life. They, I mean, I can tell you the hormone I think of most of is melatonin. And melatonin only happens in stone fruits in July because the days are really long. And that's how you get a little more melatonin. That's kind of interesting. But in general, sex hormones, steroids, even peptides, you don't eat it. So I knew I wanted to be transdermal. I knew I had to figure out a dosing schedule. I found something that was 20 to 1, 1 milligram of estrogen to 20 milligrams of progesterone. I figured out how every three days, every 72 hours, there's a receptor rollover, steroid receptor rollover. So every 72 hours, you make new ones. So I changed the dose every three days. So, you know, you build it and they will come. And I made the tipping points. I made um, day 12. Lots of things happen on day 12. Day 12 makes you a progesterone receptor. Day 12 spikes LH, so you would ovulate if you were young. Day 12 hits G1 arrest. Everything stops growing in the lining of your uterus, your breasts. Your breasts have the same sort of uh, schedule of growth and death, apoptosis and proliferation as your uterus by the moon, the light of the moon. Okay, governed that cycle until we turned on lights inside, until we forgot about all that. That's why I take them to a planetarium. And um, so I had, a, I had a model. I'm going to be 20 again inside. I'm going to put it in on my skin and hope it absorbs. It took a while to get a formula that absorbs right. Then I figured out dosing should be as it is in the body, 20 to 1, and progesterone doesn't even start until day 14. You know, the progesterone that you get, hydroxyprogesterone, is from your adrenals, day 1 to 14. So that's different. And then I 
had to put it in something. And hormones in those days came in tubes and you got a spoon and or a jar. Uh, our favorite little guy, what's his name? Uh, Uzi Rice. Our favorite little guy, Uzi Rice, would give people a jar and say, put on what you want when you feel bad. That's <laughs> not science. I made a very strict dosing schedule, very strict delivery method. I ended up putting them in 3 ml syringes because you could go one line at a time for one milligram or for 20 milligrams. And I color-coded it because old ladies are tired at night and you don't want to grab the wrong color. And then I got a third-party tester uh, called Dynalabs. And all the pharmacies that would sign up to make this and want to use my name, thanks to Suzanne, would pay to have their stuff tested and it would be reported back to me. And I had one of my kids answering that, you know, checking with Dynalabs in St. Louis. And when somebody came, some pharmacy came back with bad results, we would make them retrain with Dynalabs to learn how to make hormones again. It's only a one, two, three project. I mean, you really, everything I do is one, two, three, because people can't really absorb much more than that. So that's how I did it. I mimicked nature. It's called biomimetic, bioidentical hormone replacement. And I did the same thing for men. One of the things that was especially surprising 20 years ago, but I think most people listening haven't heard about this, you talk about doses of hormones to mimic about what a 20-year-old woman's hormones would be. And that means that perimenopausal and menopausal women can reestablish regular periods. And is that, is that a good thing? Is that the way is, you want it to work? Well, let's start with two really easy assumptions. 20-year-old women don't have Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, <laughs> heart disease, cancer, uh, MS. Uh, I mean, so we want to be there. Yeah. We don't want to be where we are, okay? That's my favorite thing. You go in for a blood test, and you're, you know, 35, 40, and they'll go, your blood test is normal, and it's just in the toilet. But that is normal for 35 or 40. Not helpful, but normal, because you're dying, okay? So the question about having a period, here's your, you know, young, healthy women have three states to be in. They can be pregnant, they can be breastfeeding, or they can be menstruating. Now, I could not recreate pregnancy and breastfeeding. Don't think I didn't try. But I could put cycles back. And I could put cycles back normally so they'd have a five-day bleed. So they felt good. So we got blood work on day 12 that was the same as somebody 20 years old. That was the other thing. They could go to their doctor and justify what we'd done. We had a potential to alter the dose because everybody's different. You could go up a line or down a line. Okay. So I thought it was a pretty good plan. And when you ask about a period, you have choices as a woman. You can have a period or you can have a walker. You can have a period or you can have chemotherapy. <laughs> Tell us what you, you really think. You can have a period. Yeah. Well, sorry. <laughs> no, this I is great. Transparent. This is great. Transparency is my only gift. Okay. So you can have a period or you can have a white cane or you can have a period or don't you want to jump out of bed every morning, know where you are, know where your keys are, and not hurt anyone? You shouldn't know you have a body from the neck down unless you're having sex or exercising. It shouldn't hurt anywhere. You know, nothing should be bad, right? You're in your, your mid-60s. 
Um, are, are, do you still experience that level of energy at all? Yeah, well, we're talking. Do I sound tired? No, not at all. Right. So it's, okay. it's working for you is what I'm asking. Yeah. I think it was after I died and came back, I had more energy. Um, no, I, um, I, yeah, I do. But I'm on more hormones than a transsexual. You have to understand, I have a thyroid protocol, which is an inverse curve to the estrogen. I have uh, an HGH dosing protocol for men that you can use a Novo Norse pup clicked for. Men need growth hormone so much. Women, not so much. Women make growth hormone in their liver if they have enough estrogen. Men run out at about 29 and it just is fumes past that point and gets worse. And it's part of prostate cancer. So I have at my disposal 58 or 60 pharmacies that compound. So when I create an idea or a drug, and again, I'm the crash test dummy, and have won this study, I will say, I need you to make me this, and then I will go to one of my doctors, we have 520-some doctors who prescribe, and say, would you prescribe this? And sometimes it takes me 10 doctors in to get somebody to go, all right, you know, it's like, no guts, no glory, people, you know, you're going to want this stuff in 10 years, just let me invent, Okay. So most recently, it turns out metformin or glucophage mm -hmm. in a cream. I mean, I can show you this because you can see me. See my hands? Yeah. They don't look 65. Yeah. Or, well, we call it the slippery side of the slope to 70. No, they don't. And neither does the rest of me. Thank you very much. And metformin cream did this. Okay, it took away, it depigments, it grows fat, it does all sorts of things. And it's a way for people who can't swallow glucophage or metformin without being nauseous to use it. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. There's Rapamune. The work I've done with Rapamune, I think, is terribly exciting. Rapamycin, do you know what that is? Oh, yeah, we've talked about it on, on the show, and I've talked about suppressing okay. Rapamycin. In fact, in my books, this is a way to cause you to build muscle, but if you have it all the time, you might get cancer. So you, you need to modulate that, at least as far as I understand it. Well, the cycle. As far thing. as I am, yeah, yeah, you're right. There should be a cycle. You're, that's always true. But I don't know what kind of cycle you came up with. I might have to read your book. But I looked at it because I have a granddaughter who is on the autism spectrum, and that tends to be tubular sclerosis or fragile X or something. And mTOR pathways, mammalian target of rapamycin, mm -hmm. is involved. It's a whole other immune system no one knew existed until this guy in the 70s who worked for Pfizer, when they closed down the plant in Ohio and they closed down the experimental medicine part, he had frozen dirt from Easter Island in the refrigerator. And he said he just couldn't leave it. He thought it was important. He took it home and put it in his refrigerator. He's the man responsible for everybody walking around with a kidney transplant that didn't fall out. He made it work. Now, unfortunately, with kidney transplants or even heart-lung transplants, they give it with three other immunosuppressants. And the stuff you read about rapamycin is usually tangled in with taking way too many immunosuppressants. Rapamycin on its own in about two milligrams won't give you anything but a yeast infection or a herpes blister. It's really not that intense. But will it buy you life? In dog studies and mammal studies, they're seeing 25% longer life. I don't know. 
That's not why I take it. And that's not why I went out to get it. It also, in cardiac studies, rebuilds cardiomyopathy and somehow, nobody knows how, takes away left ventricular hypertrophy, that big lump that grows on the side of your heart when your high blood pressure is not controlled forever. It brings it down. So it does remarkable things, and they're not going to know it if they keep trying to scare people. So, so you can, I think, think that herpes virus that changed your parietal lobe because very few human beings think about things the way you do and have and have that that knowledge that you just effortlessly pulled up. Uh, I have a also cross correlating brain, but not to the extent that you do. And uh, everyone listening, that's because you're a guy. It's just because you're a guy. It's well, I, okay. I, I also had <laughs> I had the the, the the a whole bunch of Asperger's symptoms when I was a kid, and just I, I have a strange brain too. But uh, I just want everyone listening to that long list. Every one of those things deserves like a building at a research facility to understand how we're going to live past 180. But this knowledge, it actually exists and it is known oh, yeah. and it is used by billionaires. I know because I've met some of them uh, and like like this stuff is out there and I'm doing a huge amount of stuff like that. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually starting to put some stuff together to make it a little bit more accessible. But the, the idea here is there's a whole universe that hopefully that just blew your mind, but there's a whole universe of this stuff. And T.S. Wiley has been. Uh, swimming in that universe in a way that most people don't swim in 17 different pools at the same time. And that's why you're on the show. And thank you for just, just that long list. Now I got to ask you for about not dying. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, thanks <laughs> for not dying. Yeah. Right now. Talk to me about metformin. I, metformin is a very common uh, anti diabetes drug. It's also been used for anti-aging for quite a while. And I, uh, I took it for about three years when the first research came out about life ex extension and uh, glucophage. And I ended up not taking it. In fact, one, one of the... Why? Well, I looked at the decline in mitochondrial function, about a 30% decline from it, and a resistance to vitamin B12 that come from taking it at least orally. So I decided, you know, I can mimic the effect with... There's some herbal stuff called AMP-K, is it Ganymna Silvestri, just from memory? Uh, and I said, you know, I can get the AMP-K signaling from this stuff, similar effects without the suppression of mitochondrial function. But I want you to think about what you just said. I, if you have my work there, and I think you do, yeah. I presented a paper on mitochondrial function and mm -hmm. hormone response. Right. And of course, in the cells that make hormones, if your mitochondria are dying, you're not going to make hormones. But if you put hormones back, then the mitochondria will make you more hormones. So it's uh, the circle. So it's, it's one of those it, things. This is... This is what's so irritating. Everything is a system. And you get these researchers who are like, I'm going to isolate all these variables. And they isolate 10 variables they thought about. And there's 100,000 other ones they didn't think about that didn't isolate. So yeah, I, no, I've seen no data that says if you have adequate hormones and glucophage that it does the same thing. So if... Well, I would tell you glucophage is French white lilac bark. Mm. It's not a drug. And being French white lilac bark, it's a salicylate, like an aspirin. Yep. So there's immuno, well, well, let's say anti-inflammatory potential. And I think 10 years ago, the American College of Nephrology came out and said everybody over 40 should take glucophage to prevent kidney failure in old age. Okay. Interesting. So I told them. Well, I told all my doctors 10 years ago, and a lot of them decided to use it. The oncologist that I work with is most interesting. She 
is being watched. She works in a clinic. She's, you know, I I have made fun of poor Julie Taguchi forever. I used to tell her she drove around in a truck with a big spider on top. She was just a, you know, a poisonous <laughs> person. And let, why don't we do this the right way? I, well, I met her by accident. I treated one of her patients by accident. I got him bent for me when he was alive. His wife had a friend whose husband was dying. And Ben said, do you think progesterone will help him? And I said, well, no, I think it should be testosterone. But I, I have lots of progesterone here because I used to get a prescription and fax it to pharmacies and pick it up, and then I'd still have the original. So it could go on for a while to many pharmacies. And I once told women to do that, and they pulled me off the stage. But anyway, so <laughs> I had a lot of progesterone, and I gave it to Bent. And this man who had lung tumors that had metastasized from a bladder cancer all the tumors went away. And I said, we have to see how this man's doing. I mean, I didn't know that at that point. And every time I'd try to call Taguchi, Bent would put his wrists together like we were going to be handcuffed. Not brave enough for me, you know. So I called Taguchi and I said, I want to tell you what I've been giving your patient. And then I want an x-ray. And I met her in the doctor's lounge and cottage hospital in Santa Barbara. And she said, what are you talking about? So I talked very fast, told her everything I knew. And she said, you know, hormones are not okay for cancer patients. And I said, it depends on how much you give them and what kind you give them and when you give them. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, I think you're mistaken because you wipe them all out because you don't know how to do it. I know how to do it. Can we have an x-ray? We got an x-ray and all of his tumors were gone. And she said, now you've got my attention. So I've been working with the Gucci for at least 15 years. And every once in a while, you know, I'd like to see a stronger spine. But she, she comes through. She's courageous <laughs> enough. And with her patients, she started using metformin because insurance companies won't pay for glucophage. And the difference between metformin and glucophage is a, a binder. You know, it's cellulose. Mm -hmm. So, cause, so you don't throw up. Because once it hits your blood sugar, if you've never had low blood sugar, you throw up. And you probably didn't feel good on it. So oh, I felt fine. Um, on it. Yeah, I was used it to it. Didn't bother you. You were just worried about what you read. Well, yeah, no, I'd, I mean, I'd weigh 300 pounds and uh, I've had lots of blood sugar swings and I, in, I, I use I have ketones present all the time from brain octane. So I don't really blow blood sugar doesn't usually get me unless it's a, a very short term toxin induced thing where like it crashes. Um, so. No, I, I never, I never felt bad or good on it. I, I can't tell when I take it, uh, which is interesting. Well, eight fifties three times a day, and you'd notice. But all okay. I'm suggesting is, yeah, yeah, that's about the right dose for somebody who used to weigh three hundred pounds. So she used it on her cancer patients because I gave her the information yeah. and the studies, which you are going to have on why it would stop the inflammation of a tumor, why it would change blood sugar, which feeds tumors, why you would want to do this. She has jumped on the bandwagon for Rapimune. There's a drug called Affinitor that they sell to gynecologists, which is just Rapamycin. Rapamycin is out of the dirt on Easter Island, and it's a macrolide, antibacterial, antifungal, hmm. and it's the strongest immunosuppressant anybody's ever you know, found, but they had to find it to find the pathway it worked on, which became mammalian target of rapamycin or mTOR. 
So whether we're talking about autism, I mean, I, I, you have a paper there that I published on autism, which was using uh, something called hydroxyzine or Atarax. It's a very common antihistamine. They use it for cutaneous things like hives. And and they use it in dental offices to calm down kids. And I thought if we made it in a cream, my three-year-old granddaughter, who'd never said a word, might talk. Well, I had to convince my daughter, who thinks I'm just mom. They all think <laughs> I'm just mom. And I made it up. And I made some. And within six weeks, she was talking. Wow. And she's only one year behind. Well, you've got to think about what it works on. It's an antihistamine. So there's anti-inflammatory effects in the brain. And it was the original Valium. It's an anti-anxiolytic. So you're calming down. And if you need to talk and you can't and you're freaking out, you're anxious. So I yeah. thought it couldn't hurt her either way. And it seems to work. There's no question that autism is either caused by or heavily influenced by inflammation in the brain. And whether yeah. it's autoimmune, environmental, it's actually multifactorial, like many things can contribute. But that's why sure. the whole community for, geez, ever since we have identified autism has been, what's the, what's the cause? There is no one cause. It's a system's cause. But that's the way There's it's manifesting. There's never a one cause. So, so if, you, if well, you, turn, you turn down the inflammation in the brain, of course it's going to get better. And I can tell you, if I let my brain get inflamed by not controlling my environment, I, I act very differently than I do today because I, I'm who I am because I monitor that, that inflammation. And it, I, I don't know how to function if I don't. Well, the biggest uh, thing I think hmm. that happened that led her to being able to speak, and in the beginning it was snippets from cartoons, you know, help, help, help to get the chicken or whatever. That meant she needed help. Hmm. That went on for about six, eight months, and then she started to put together real sentences. And then it took a year or two before we're having a conversation. I ask a question, I get an answer back. Now she's just really funny. She'll look at, Marta looked at her and said, you read that animal book six times. Are you really reading it or just looking at the pictures? And she said, I'm really reading it. She's nine now. Wow. And Mara's, and Mara said, well, what's that say about that? And she explained it in great detail. She said, Mara said, what's an android? And Wiley, her name's Wiley, Ryan mm -hmm. McGinnis. Wiley said, it's AI, mom. Are you stupid? <laughs> an android. And, and, you know, I mean, there's, she's, she, her social skills could be better, but she's a lot like me. So, so could mine. She, I said tomorrow, I can get her to talk, but I don't think you're going to like what comes out because <laughs> she's been listening for three years to you worry about her being retarded yeah. and that soaks in. It does. So. So it's taken a while to build up social relationships with her, to, to figure out what, she's brilliant, what, what we can do to make sure other people know that. And she went to sleep. That was the point. If you take Adirax twice a day, you're wide awake in the daytime, which most autistic kids aren't because they're almost a fugue state because they've been awake all night. And this, they take it at night and they sleep. And then they're better off in the daytime. Incredible. They can learn. I, yeah, I'm going to do some more research on this for sure. Well, read the paper. They, I, I there's references in the back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, of course. I, I was going to say, I've never seen anything you do that isn't just incredibly stacked with references. And I put a lot of references in, in the stuff I do, but I, 
I am truly blown away. You must have the world's thickest Mendeley uh, database on earth. Actually, it's 21,000 papers that have been OCR'd and we'll have search words soon and we'll put it up for the doctors that are just what I used for lights out and sex, lies, and menopause. Uh, I absolutely believe that having read them. Tell me a little bit about prostate cancer. Did you, you know the real story of A4M, right? Uh, Where A4M came from? Probably. Platts and Goldman. Was it Class and Goldman? You know where they came from. Weren't they like no, Dirk, Dirk, and, Dirk and Sandy kind of supporters or something? Man named Joe Weeder, bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know of Joe. Joe, Joe Weeder, and his uh, HGH and his anabolic steroids and his whatever. Joe Weeder sold his Rolodex in those days. His company mm-hmm. that became the magazine Life Extension. You remember Life Extension mm-hmm. started as a magazine before it sold blood tests, before it sold, you know, all kinds of supplements. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that poor man. He was just treated for, he was destroyed by his doctors. I, mm. I met Ben through David Duchovny and Ben had prostate cancer and it wasn't even the kind that was going to kill you. Okay. Mm. There's lots of most cancer won't kill you. Yeah. And uh, people panic and their doctors give them the advice to be gutted like a fish. And if you watch the rag papers, Us Weekly, whatever, you'll notice shortly after his health crisis, he ended up divorced because it destroys you as a man. Mm-hmm. You dribble, dangle and die and you're depressed forever. So I worked with a urologist for many years on the men's protocol and on understanding men's health because as an anthropologist, you're supposed to be dead right now, Dave, I'm sorry. Um, Men get in, do the job, and get out. Women and children are process on the planet. So when men hang around too long, when they don't kill each other or they're not eaten by an animal, they compete for the food supply with the offspring. Yep. And you should be dead. Okay? So for you to hang around is parasitic. So you start now, well, you know, sorry about that. That's it's not right. that I don't have a husband. I, I have I, a husband I love and two sons and three grandsons. I, I, okay. I can own being a parasite, I, I guess. You know, yeah, okay. Just, well, I, I eat my kids' food all the sure. time. It makes them so mad. Yeah. <laughs> That makes you a bigger man that you can own being a parasite. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me. They usually just panic and turn off the button. But at any rate, anthropologically, um, men are ephemeral. They're like mayflies. You know, they're gone. And in this world, they malinger because we give them a heart stand to Or we, you know, most of them don't have prostate cancer. Prostate cancer doesn't really hit you hard until after 60. The other stuff is just, prostate cancer is like breast cancer. Uh, Prostate is a breast. It has ductwork and it makes food. And it makes uh, prostatic fluid, which gives the sperm something, a high glucose product to go out, do the job, you know, three days, do the job and get out. And like breast cancer, there are many forms of corroded pipes. There's many forms of expansion, BPH, but it won't kill you. And once they start doing biopsies and punching holes in men, uh, just like a scar on your hand closes, the skin closes, the stem cells in your skin 
create closure once you punch a hole in your prostate. If you've got a nest of stem cells that were wacky, you just woke them up for wound healing. And that's why people die much faster after biopsy. And biopsy follows PSA. And it's all a, it's a disaster. And it's terribly sad. And it happens to men if well, nobody's watching. All right. I have two more big questions for you before we get to the end of the interview. One is, I'm a guy. And I had zero thyroid, not zero, but near zero, very, very low thyroid and very, very low testosterone, lower than my mom when I was 25, 26. And uh, I've been on testosterone replacement, bioidentical stuff uh, in various forms ever since. I took three years off when I was doing the Bulletproof Diet research just to see what the impact. And I found if I was really careful, I could get it up to about 750 uh, without supplementing, but that the supplementing really helped. And uh, what should guys do? And tell me about guys who are 30, guys who are 40, guys who are 100. Uh, what What does the Wiley protocol do that's different than, hey, take some thyroid, take some testosterone? Well, first of all, the Wiley protocol is testosterone and DHEA separately because DHEA makes androgen receptors faster. So then when you use the testosterone, you don't wait six weeks to feel it. You feel it in six days. So it's a dual therapy of testosterone and, and DHEA. And I believe men, you know, knowing your expiration date is something like 3540, at about 29 should use growth hormone, but you should use it in a rhythm. And the rhythm I came up with for growth hormone is based on the fact that growth hormone receptors are made by estrogen. And in men, testosterone has to convert to estrogen to make a growth hormone. So we had to count the days, and we had to figure out how you'd throw that in. So men need growth hormone. They need testosterone, DHEA. They, most men, to stay uninflamed because, as I said, there's two immune systems. There's the one in your gut that is defense that keeps their cousins out, right? You know, that, that keeps you from getting a cold, keeps you from whatever. And then there's the one that belongs to the planet also unfortunately, in your gut and in every plant and everything. And that's autoimmunity. And that's what takes you out. So men to be taken out, whether it's heart disease, which is commonly known in men, or it's prostate cancer, or it's lung cancer, should they have decided to smoke for no good reason. I mean, everything is inflammation. High blood pressure is, in fact, inflammation in men. So I would tell you glucophage, metformin, those things are all good immunosuppressants. If you can get your hands on it, rapamycin's better. Rapamine, no more than two milligrams ever. Would you combine them? I would take all of that. Okay. I take, okay, let's do it this way. Why don't you ask me what I take? Uh, yes. <laughs> I've tell never me, told anybody. Tell me what you take. I have never told anybody you take. <laughs> okay, this is groundbreaking. Well if, well, if on the way to 70, I'm not that hard to look at and I have enough energy, yeah. uh, you probably want to know what I take. I take a lot of antihistamines, different kinds. I take a lot of hormones and a lot of hormone suppressors. So I take the Wiley protocol. Needless to say, I take a dose that is probably an average high dose. I take plus four lines three times a day. That's called triple X because I thought it was funny. And I take uh, thyroid, my own thyroid, which is a transdermal inverse curve 
two estrogen that has a seasonal dosing. The men's protocol is seasonal. Okay. So estrogen receptors don't change seasonally, but thyroid, which makes an estrogen receptor or an androgen receptor, you found that in your case, changes seasonally. So you have to change the thyroid seasonally. That comes that way and it's prepackaged and it's mindless and your pharmacy just has to make it. The pharmacies are listed on my website that make all these things. I uh, use thyroid. I use spironolactone or aldactone, whatever you want to call it. It's peppermint. Always was peppermint. You could drink peppermint tea, I suppose. But it suppresses aldosterone. And in old ladies, if you can't get your estrogen right, what makes you grow chin whiskers, get square and slightly bald, and your voice gets deeper, is aldosterone. Now, in men, aldosterone knocks out your hairs in your ears. And old men get deaf and old women get blind because they need the estrogen. So I take spironolactone, estrogen and progesterone, thyroid. I take a little DHEA because now I'm over 65. And my adrenals have to be a memory Um, because they measured suns up, suns down. And it's been 65 years. That's what adrenals do. Are you using seven keto DHEA or regular DHEA? Regular, I made a cream for men and I use a couple of lines of that. You know, it's like 20 milligrams in a cream. And I use it in the rhythm of of the androgens. I have a testosterone rhythm for women that goes straight across, makes big bump in the middle because in young women, your testosterone surges when your LH pours, the thecus cells make your testosterone use the egg because otherwise men seem tedious. So your libido can be controlled by that bump. Well, you want things and you, you know, you sit around and talk about your last kill. Do you know a new study just came out and 80% of the food supply in a, in a group comes from women, not men. And of that 80%, 70% of the 80% comes from grandmothers. Hmm. Interesting. They go hunting. Okay, that's how it works. The mother hunts until she has two children and then grandma takes over. First child, she's still hunting because she time on their back. But you guys are, are just, you know, ground zero for what can we take off the planet that's using up energy and not putting enough back. So if you want to avoid that, you're going to immunosuppress, you're going to take your hormones, you got to fucking sleep somehow. I don't know. You know, I'm melatonin. I take melatonin before I go to bed. I take seasonal melatonin that of course I invented and it's in a cream and it's uh, transdermal, which you don't get very often. When you put it under your tongue or you chew it, anytime you swallow it, it's going to go through your liver and it changes it. And more importantly, it's a bolus and you want this to last you most of the night. Because melatonin blocks estrogen receptors in the beginning of the night, so they pop back up, and you can stay asleep all night if you're a man or a woman. I'm going to ask you uh, an unusual question. Why aren't you using it rectally instead of transdermally? Because doesn't it absorb better without all the side effects? It's too fast. Too Too fast? fast. Yeah, there's no side effects transdermally. What you want is a depot. It could be a tricep. It could be, I mean, I don't tell people to put things on their legs because each fat pad has a different hormone uh, production of its own in response. But um, 
anytime you put something in a mucous membrane, whether it's up your nose, and there was testosterone up your nose till they took it off the market, and then, or you're saying rectal, you can supposit anything you want to, but the, the problem is it's a bolus, and your body doesn't know that. Your body knows slow rhythms, beat, 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 beat. Okay. It has to, you have to have it in a fat depot where you, every time your heart beats, the capillaries pick some up and take it. So if you open a door and there's a monster and your heart goes nuts, you get more hormones really fast. That's the system. I changed the way I dosed my testosterone. I used a cream for a long time. And creams are annoying because they actually, um, well, if you're a guy, you have hairy armpits, so you get a greasy thing. They absorb on the scrotum or the armpits really well. And also, I have young kids. I didn't want to get testosterone residue on my kids you know, from my sheets or from things like that. So I, I thought about it and I, I swapped, but I, I feel like the cream did work better. So how do you keep your hormones from getting on other people? I have five grandchildren and I certainly have a son-in-law and my daughter. And you're talking about a contact high. Women complained in the beginning that their dogs would get a contact high. Mm -hmm. And dogs who had been neutered suddenly were producing breast milk and strange things. And I said to these women, where the hell are these dogs? between your legs. I mean, where do you sleep with this dog? I mean, a dog should be over there, not in bed with you. These were old ladies with yeah. little purse dogs in bed with them. And yeah, I'm sure the pheromones, I think it's pheromones more than a contact high. Okay. I, I believe in the work Evan Cotter did at the University of Chicago years and years ago about taking a pad rubbing it under the armpit and then under the nose of the woman next door these were women and they all cycled together yeah so this is real. a pheromone. yeah yeah that's a pheromonal thing okay so the wiley protocol for men the dhea goes right above your kidneys in the back okay the dose the testosterone goes right on your femoral artery and yes of course it's going to get on your scrotum that's a bonus okay and a little on your thigh. And that's where that goes. And we don't see a lot of testosterone. I mean, we check. I have 520 doctors and people are supposed to report adverse events, let alone serious adverse events like somebody got cancer or somebody dropped dead or whatever. And we've kept track of that stuff for 20 years. Okay. And you could use that. And, you know, you're in a T-shirt. I don't know. I mean, I suppose that cover your back a little bit, but you don't have to sleep naked. You could, you could put some clothes on and it wouldn't hurt them. And I'm not sure you sleep with the children. No, no I mean, my made my husband. No, I made my, Oh my God. We had one who wouldn't get out of bed till she was seven. Hmm. And we go, would you go? Would you go now? And my husband, who was a, uh, a mensch said, um, she's going to stop nursing someday. And I said, yeah, someday, you know, we'll figure it out. She'll find a food she likes. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, well, I had all my children at home, you yeah, know. So did we. Yeah, did that kind of thing. And then we slept with all of them. And then nobody got shots. And my daughter, in fact, the one we're talking about is now 40. And she has to go to the dentist tomorrow. And she's never been to a dentist. And she said, will you go with me? I'm scared. And I said, oh, my God, you're 40 years old. <laughs> and she said, but I never went to dentists. My teeth were perfect. And I said, yeah, I know they were. From having babies, she has five now. So you don't have to worry about a contact high. Hormones absorb in 40 minutes. So you could take a shower, you could go to bed, you could whatever. 
But exercise, you can sweat them back out for two hours. So if you put them on and then immediately exercise, you'll, you'll sweat them back out. That, so. That's good to know. All right. Next, next up, and we're, we're short on time. So I just want to talk about sleep, sugar, and survival, and, and lights out, and your work there. It was really groundbreaking. And last year, I got to go to Satin Panda's lab at the Salk Institute and look at uh, rat uh, mitochondria in the eyes, the melanopsin sensors. And uh, like this was such a big thing. When I, because of your book, I started experimenting with blacking out my room, taping over LEDs and all these things. And I, I measured a difference in my sleep. And I ended up starting a company that makes like patented glasses that are four layer spectral filters that block every spectrum of light that signals to your SCN that it's daytime. And when I use my, my aura ring uh, right here, I find I can double my deep sleep uh, when I use the glasses before bed for a while. So the, the contract is coming from my cut of the glasses, <laughs> right? Exactly. Right? No, no uh, not really. Okay. Just thought I'd ask. It's always worth a try. Yes. I said in lights out, please wear pink or red sunglasses because spectrum changes. There's a famous man named Ott, O-T-T, and he did very good work on spectrum changes back in the 70s. And it turns out that black to pink to blue, so it's nighttime and then it's dawn mm -hmm. and then it's daytime, changes your cortisol reception. Yes. The same way pink, well, the same way blue to pink to black changes is your cortisol reception and gets you ready for bed, turns it all off. So if you're not going to go to bed when it turns pink, and most people are not, your glasses should be worn at that point. All your computers, electronics, if you can't turn them off, and I question whether you can't turn them off, um, should have blue light filters on them that are on timers that, you know, turn on them whenever sunset is. And it, you, that's why when you're out in your car and you're driving and the sun's going down, you start yawning and you can't figure out why. That's the window yeah. for going to sleep. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've noticed, I, I am a night owl, I always have been, and uh, I've noticed that uh, if I stay up, especially I'm writing books, I just like that quiet time and I do it in a spectrally compliant manner. Right? It's all, it looks like a submarine or a, a hooker's den where, where I'm writing because it's only red, my monitors are red. Uh, but if if I see a little bit of sunrise, even even before the sun comes up, I can't sleep. But as long as I as long as I keep it dark, I go to sleep and I sleep and uh, I, I go through cycles and it seems to work for me. Although who knows, maybe you could have said dark room instead of hooker's den. I'm just saying. Uh, well, everyone tells okay. me that, that I have red lights everywhere. They're like, Dave, it's a red light yeah, district. Old, Come on, man. <laughs> no, but the old remember the old dark rooms, just the red lights. Yeah, but when you did your own film. Right, but like almost no one listening remembers that. I, I mean, uh, but like I know my my dad might have had a dark room. I saw a dark room, but like we all have digital my cameras. Yeah, dark room. He he loved that. He loved developing pictures. Yeah, because it was a like magic. It's yeah. a lost art. Uh, that well, well, a lot of magic is gone. I I have one more question for you, TS. If someone came to you tomorrow and you didn't know much about them, and they said, "Look." I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being. What are your three most important pieces of advice for me? What would you offer them? Get up at dawn. You have to get up when the sun comes up. That will immediately change not only the bacteria in your gut, you want to hack them. You get up at dawn, you walk 10 minutes watching the sun come up, 
and you've changed cortisol and a multiple of hormones and bacteria for the whole day, you need to go to bed about two hours after dark, even in the winter when it's dark at five o'clock. I'm sorry, you eat early dinner, go lay down, you know. Yeah, I used to tell people to read lights out, you know, your eyes going back and forth. I can put anybody to sleep. It's <laughs> hypnotism, you know, to read a book. But you have to have hormones, you have to have sleep, and you have to have physical contact. You have to have love. And those old ladies who slept with their dogs were missing something they wanted. But without a physical relationship, without sleeping with something alive, and I don't mean your turtle, <laughs> all of your body doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And human beings never slept alone. They slept in piles. They slept in tents. They slept with children. And, you know, I would tell anybody, of course, have children if you're not too old. And if you're too old and you want to be like my friend Madonna, you can adopt some. She's a good grandma. She's doing fine. Um, but you need people and, and physical contact and to respect the light and respect the hormones. And you'll feel so much better no matter what's wrong with you. If you get up at dawn, you know, that was my first question in Lights Out. How do because I knew about the carbohydrates and I figured out, you know, prolactin and how it affected brooding and all that stuff. And my first question was, I grew up on a farm and all those 97-year-old farmers lived on pie and bacon, mm -hmm. which is a gateway meat, right? Gateway meat. And I thought, how did they live to 97? And then I remembered they got up at dawn. And they crawled in bed because they were tired from being on the tractor all day. And, you know, I, I, who was it? It was Delgado. Delgado said, well, I like to exercise. I take my shirt off and I go outside and lift weights. And I said, dude, way too much information. Nobody wants to see you with your shirt off. <laughs> and he sort of looked at me and I said, if you want to exercise, go build a boat. He said, what do you mean? I said, build a boat. I said, I don't care if you ever get in it, give it to somebody. But your work must have purpose. Mm -hmm. And the purpose is not your muscle physique. The purpose is doing something for somebody else. And that's what I would tell them purpose is very important. Purpose. Beautiful. Well, T.S. Wiley, thank you for your unusual brain and your uh, your amazing work over over the years. I think you've consistently been ahead of your time, and I'm happy that you're not dead. And people, me too, me too, <laughs> me too. I think Mercola is going to be a little down, but you know, I don't know why he made that up. I saw him too, oh, but it's yeah, okay. pe people people make mistakes or or whatever. But I'll I'll, I'll make. <laughs> I'll make sure he knows you're alive. And can we call it wishful thinking? I mean, it's, you know, it's not quite a mistake. But... Well, people can find your work at thewileyprotocol.com. That's W-I-L-E-Y. And we'll link to it in the show notes and on the blog and things like that. And thanks for being on the show. I had a wonderful time. You're a lovely man. And you're doing good work. Um, I'm impressed. I looked at all your stuff that you're hustling. And most of it won't kill anybody. And it does some good. <laughs> all right that's pretty, that, that's pretty that, remarkable I, no but that's that's about as good as it gets for me okay I, that's pretty I, remarkable i appreciate that and those are definitely standards <laughs> i live by so so thank you <laughs> um.
A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.